Well, good morning, church. Man, I guess we need that every now and then, Dave. Just a reminder, it is so true. I think sometimes, like, you you watch your team play. If you got a favorite team and they win, like, yeah, they won. And somebody says, hey, aren't you excited about your team winning? It's like, yeah, they won. It's like somebody else recognizes that we should be joyful about something. And it's like, well, I am. Well, you don't look like you're joyful about something, right? It's one of those moments like, yeah, those lyrics are rich. You know, whenever we sing, whether it's a hymn, a chorus, whatever it may be, and you see those words and it's like, wow, that is so good, right? Wow. Um, You ever hear the phrase, got some good news, got some bad news? Remember those phrases? And oftentimes, you know, I might mention that, and, and I heard a story one time, and it's about uh, this captain of a ship. And if you remember those old ships, you go down underneath in the deck, and the guys had those big oars, and that's how they got the boats going. They had, they had to work together, and it was usually a, a bunch of slaves that were down there, and this is what the kind of ship was. And the captain went down and to talk to all the, the men down there and <clears throat> all these slaves and said, Gentlemen, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. And I'm going to start off by giving you the good news first. Well, tomorrow we're going to dock in the port of Caesarea, and and you're going to enjoy it. There's going to be all kinds of parties. I'm going to give you the day off. Yeah. He goes, but gentlemen, I also have some bad news for you. The admiral would like to go water skiing today. Yeah, some of you don't get that. They have to row really hard. They're going to be. I knew I should have never put that joke in there. All of you are like, I don't get it. You know, the rowing? Yeah, never mind. If I've got to explain it, it's not a good joke, is it? No. I should have cut that one out. Anyway, okay, so good news and bad news. You've all heard those before. There's good news and there's bad news. Open up your Bibles to the book of? Thank you very much. John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we'll bring one to you. And when you open up to the book of John today, in John chapter 9, we're going to get part 2 of the story we started last week. And you're going to see that there's some good news and there's some bad news. And, um, you know, the good news is the blind can see. The bad news is people are spiritually blind to Jesus. There's more bad news is the world's going to be rejecting you because you believe in Jesus. But the good news is, is that Jesus will receive you because you believe in him. There's good news and bad news, and we're going to find out some more in this story. Um, so John chapter 9, verse 24 is where we're going to start off. Um, Let's, before we read this, let's review last week real quick what happened, okay? So there's this man that has been born blind. Jesus comes along, meets him, and he heals him. He helps him to see again. And, you know, the question was, is this involved because of his sin? Is suffering related to sin? And we said this has nothing to really to focus on. That's not the focus of the story. Um, suffering is an opportunity to demonstrate the power and the glory of God. And it also shows how uh, suffering, how hopeless we can be without Jesus in our life when we go through suffering. We learn in this story that Jesus never intended, um, or I should say the blind man never asked for help, but Jesus intended to help. And he begged every day for something just to survive, and Jesus said, I've got something more than just surviving. I'm going to help you thrive. And he helped the blind man to see. It was a miracle, Right? And there should have been a lot of celebration. People are like, this guy was born blind. Now he can see. There should be a lot of celebration. But instead, we said there was what? Interrogation. And the religious leaders didn't like it that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. All kinds of questions were being asked. And, um, and you know, they're like, well, who did this? Who did this? And we know who did it. It was Jesus, the Son of God. It was Jesus 
who is God. And it's an incredible story. We see how Jesus brings light into the darkest of lives, physically and spiritually, in this story. Now, we obviously don't like the pain and the suffering and the tragedy, but as we read through this story, we realize things happen for purpose. We understand that in this story, God has a bigger uh, thing he wants to show us besides what blindness is. So as we get to this uh, passage today, just sort of want to give you a precursor to all this. Just think about this, what it means to be alone, what it means to... Uh, have rejection in your life, and what do you do in those kind of moments, and who do you lean upon? With that being said, John chapter 9, in your Bibles, verse 24, we'll start there. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God by telling the truth, because we know Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind Now I can see. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? What, what, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple. We're the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know anything about him. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. And yet, you don't know anything about him? Well, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Never since the world began has anyone been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do it. You were born in sin, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? They threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what happened, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36. The man answered, Who is he, sir? Because I would like to. You've seen him, Jesus said. He is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, the man said. I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I've come to judge the world. I've come to give sight to the blind and show those who think they see that they're blind. The Pharisees were standing there and they heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? Jesus said, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. You know, when we look in this scripture, there's some amazing things that take place here. And the religious leaders, it's almost like, Hey, we heard what you said, but we don't think you're being straight up with us. We don't think you're giving us all the answers. So they continue the interrogation. They continue to ask them these, these questions. They, they have their perceived ideas. This is what we think is Jesus is like and what it's all about. And this blind man has what? He has evidence. Perceived ideas? Could be, maybe. Evidence. Which one holds up in the court of law? Evidence, right? But these guys are being the judge and the jury, and they're claiming that their perceived ideas is going to outrank the evidence of this man. So they continue to to batter him with all these kind of questions and and asking him all these kinds of things. And he's like, listen, I know God's word is true. I know God's word is powerful. We all know that if on God's word alone it's all we had, we could place our faith on Jesus Christ and we would trust him fully. But I'm telling you something, when we see evidence of God at work, it just, it's like added weight onto God's word. It's more truth. When you see this blind man and what God's done, it's like, 
here is evidence. Oh, we have this. This is all I need. But I have this too. Religious leaders would have nothing to do with that. They didn't want to do anything. Look at verse 26. They asked him the questions. What did he do? How did he heal you? And I love what this guy says. He goes like, hey, I told you. Didn't you listen? Uh, You want to hear it again? Ah, you want to become his disciples too, don't you? Now, I have no idea what this blind man was like, but he seems to be a little cynical. But he's very sharp too. And it's like he's messing with these guys. And, and I can understand part of that. I could sit there and say, like, listen, man, we've been going back and forth. You asked me once. You asked me twice. I'll tell you what. Why don't you go and ask me again? Oh, hey, now that you ask me again, I'm going to change my answer. Not, no. It's the same answer, dude. Right? And it's like he was just toying with, like, really? You're going to keep asking me this? And then he sort of flips. He goes, hey, I know why you're asking me this. You want to be the disciple of Jesus, too, don't you? Oh, that really made them mad, Right? So as he's sort of having fun here, I don't know. But look at verse 28. This really set them off. It says, they cursed him. They hurled insults at him. You're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. They sort of make their stake and claim as like, no, you can follow that guy. We follow Moses. We know he was a mighty leader, right? And we know God spoke to Moses. This guy, we have no idea where he comes from. Now, listen to what this man says, because he sounds like, again, like he could have been a lawyer in a case. He says this, hmm, that's pretty strange. Not strange about the miracle, not strange about what's going on, but the fact that here's the strange part. You don't believe what's going on here, even though you're seeing evidence of a blind man being able to see. That doesn't amaze you. What amazes you is that there's a man here who did it. Doesn't this amaze you? And he starts off by, by saying, then he goes, He healed my eyes, yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since, <clears throat> ever since the beginning, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone who's been born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Let me read that last part again. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You see how he set up all these things? It's like, let me think about this. This guy who came, now you guys say you've claimed to hear things from God, right? And you say you sort of know where God is, right? And you don't know where this guy came from. But here's what we do know. God doesn't listen to sinners, right? You guys would agree with that? Oh, yeah, God does not listen to sinners. And this guy's a sinner, right? Okay, so God doesn't listen to sinners. And he goes on, he goes, but he's ready to hear those who worship and do his will. So God will listen to us if we want to worship him. Yep, but he won't listen to us if we're sinning. That's correct. Well, since the world began, no one's ever been able to heal a blind person, right? Nope, nobody could ever heal a blind person, right? So if this guy isn't from God, then he couldn't have done it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wait a minute. They knew they were caught. They knew he had just, like a sharp lawyer, dropped a strong case that couldn't bring any charge against him. And they're like, oh, this is this crazy. It's like their unbelief, their ignorance was more amazing to him than the fact that he was blind and now can see. You follow me on this? You don't believe this? That is more amazing to me than the fact that I can see now. 
Look at verse 34. It says, you were born a total sinner, they answered. You're trying to teach us? They threw him out of the synagogue. The religious leaders hated common people, and they especially hated this man. Especially because he just showed, us, showed them up. He just put something out there that says, if you guys are really intelligent, if you're really logical, you'd follow the steps here and understand that this Jesus guy actually can do it, and you should be placing your faith in him, but you're not. And they didn't like that. They kicked him out of the church. They kicked him out of the opportunity to worship God. They excommunicated him. Listen, church, there, there's, there's good news and bad news. Let me hear you say good news. The bad news is this. The world's going to reject you because you believe. But let me hear you say good news again. The good news is that Jesus will receive you when you believe. And sometimes we forget that good news. We're so focused on the bad news. Oh, the world hates me. Oh, I'm, I'm so different or, or I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel rejected. Oh, woe is me. And we always focus on the bad news, but we forget the good news. And the good news is that Jesus will receive us right where we're at. Good news is this man, he was healed. He was changed. That's great news, right? But the bad news was that he was abandoned and left alone. He was rejected. You would think... That his parents, of all people, his parents would have been excited about this. Like, oh, our son can see again. We love it. This is great. Let's tell everybody, right? We're posting it out. We're sending an invitation. We're going to have a I can see party or something. You know, we're going to just get the word out and we're going to celebrate this. But we don't see that. Because the world pressures us to hide our excitement. Shh. Don't tell anybody I'm a believer in Christ. Right? I don't want anybody to know, right? For some reason, they had this fear, and we know what the fear is because we just saw what happened to the blind man. Because the blind man challenged the religious leaders, they kicked him out. You cannot worship here. You're not welcome here anymore. You have been rejected and abandoned. Parents didn't want that. If you go back in the scripture, we read that the parents were afraid to say, when they were questioned, is this your son? Was he born blind? Yes, yes. How did it happen? We don't know. You ask him. You really think the parents didn't know? Parents, really? Your kid was born blind, and umpteen years later, they can see. I think we're asking our kids questions. What happened? Who did this? How did it happen? This is fantastic, right? It was like, oh, you can see? That's cool. Now, we would want to know every single detail, right? They knew. They knew a man named Jesus healed their son. But for fear of talking about Jesus, they didn't say anything. What kind of fear does that? I think we all know. For them, it was the fear of what the religious leaders would say. It was a fear of not being able to worship in a synagogue. It was a fear of being excommunicated. I mean, their fears were legit, and we have the same fears. They're just packaged differently. We have fears as parents. We don't want our kids to miss out on anything, right? We don't want them to fail. We want them to fit in. And so as a parent, it's like, hey, I don't want my kid to stick out like a sore thumb. I don't want my kid to be rejected by his classmates. So yeah, go ahead and do what the kids are doing at school. Go ahead and listen to the music. Go ahead and watch the movies they're watching because I don't want you to be left out. I don't want you to feel rejected. And we do everything we can because we don't want our kids to get hurt. We fear what will happen. Oh, yeah, I'm going to send them to the sport camp. I'm going to send them to that camp. I'm going to send them to this camp and that camp. And, oh, church camp. Oh, you got a scholarship for that? Because I don't have any money left. Well, this all matters. 
and the discipleship of our kids, secondary. Why is that? Because we don't want them to miss out. They're not going to be as smart as their classmates. They're not going to be as skilled as their classmates. They're not going to be as cool as their classmates. They're not going to have all the gadgets that their classmates have. I get it. I'm a parent. I can't tell you how many times I caved to that. It's like, man, I don't want my kids to be the one that's rejected. The one on a Friday night when all the kids are doing something else, my kid might be coming home. I don't want that, right? So I understand, parents. I'm not not calling you out like, stop it. I'm just saying, I, I get it. And you know what? Those parents got it too in the Bible. They were like, you ask them. We're not going to talk about Jesus. Those parents, you know what those parents should have done? Those parents just said, yeah, our son can see. That is our son, born blind. Jesus healed him. Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Did you get that? Put that down in your little Pharisee tablet, okay? But the, par- but the parents were like, oh, you ask him, right? The son was healed by Jesus. Others came pressing in. The man was alone. Parents, not supportive. Neighbors, not supportive. Friends, doesn't talk about him having friends. He is alone and dejected. I heard this story Back in World War I, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was a chaplain and he was over uh, serving in the armed forces. And he had led this young man to the Lord, shared, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him, and this young man gave his life to Christ. And he was so excited, uh, and he professed that he accepted Jesus as the Savior, and, uh, and he shared it with all the men in his company. And he's like, everybody that was serving alongside him, they knew where he stood with his, with his faith. But here's the thing that scared him. He's going to be coming home. The ward come to him, and he's coming home. And he's like, how is everybody else at home going to accept my new faith in Jesus Christ? So he went to Barnhouse, and he told him, he goes, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And this is what Barnhouse told him. He said, you don't have to worry about, about you know, whether or not you're going to have to give these people up. Because he's like, I'm going to have to have new relationships because the people I hung around were good and were not good. Okay, So I'm going to have to give up a lot. And, and, he, and Barnhouse said, you're not going to have to give up anybody. They're going to give you up. He's like, what do you mean? He said, you'll, you'll see this. You've made a public profession for Jesus Christ. As a result of your conversion, people are going to give you up. Wasn't quite sure what it meant. But he left his unit, went home, and immediately while he's in, coming to his suburban uh, city, that we, the place he was coming to to get off the train, he runs into this young lady that he recognized. And he's like, hey, how you doing? She's like, oh, it's so good to see you made it home safe. I'm so excited. He goes, hey, I got the best news ever. And she's like, what? What happened? And she, he's like, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith in the Lord. And she's like, oh. And sort of face sort of froze up and it's like, that's nice, and changed conversation and left. He's like, huh. Went on and walking along his way and it wasn't too long he ran to another buddy of his and the buddy of his, he's like, whoa, welcome back. We're so glad you made it safe. Man, I'm going to tell you something, there's a lot of parties that are going to be going on and you, you're going to be the main one there. And he's like, I don't know if I'll be going to those because I've got something incredible happen in my life. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I placed my faith in the Lord and the guy's like, oh, Again, facial expression completely changed. And so Froze changed the subject and walked off. And the same thing happened again and again. By the time word had gotten around and his friends, uh, they stopped seeing him. He had become the peculiar one, the religious one. And uh, a lot of them called him crazy. What had he done? Nothing but place his faith in Christ.
That confession, that alignment with Christ separated him from everything else. He had been rejected by everybody else. Again, if you're a Christian, you may not be well spoken of by everyone. You may be rejected because of your belief. This man was excommunicated from the gospel, from the synagogue. He was kicked out. Think about this. He was kicked out of the presence of the religious leaders. To who? Kicked out. To what? Let me hear you say good news. So here's the good news. See, a lot of us get so wrapped up in our rejection and, and our lone loneliness, we forget that who we've been kicked out to and from to what. Look with me, verse 35. Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man that said, well, let's stop. Whoa, whoa. When Jesus heard what happened, I don't know how word got back to Jesus, but then again, he is Jesus, okay? What did Jesus do? He looked for the man, didn't he? It doesn't say when the man found Jesus. It says when Jesus found the man. Jesus comes looking for you. Church, listen very carefully. There's a lot of times we feel like God isn't around. No, he's always looking for you. He's always looking to spend time with you. And Jesus was searching and found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, verse 36, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said. I love this. You've seen him. Just saying this to a man that was blind. He now can see. And Jesus says, you can see him. Literally, you've seen him. He's speaking to you. Look at verse 38. Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. See, the religious leaders rejected this man because Jesus healed him. And then Jesus made it a point to go meet him and receive him. He had been kicked out of the synagogue. Oh, well, guess what he got kicked out of the synagogue too? To Jesus. I'm okay with being kicked out of a synagogue as long as you're going to kick me to Jesus, okay? I'm okay being rejected by man as long as I'm received by Jesus. That's all good with me. Jesus dealt with this man differently than most people. You know, he met, he met this man, he dealt with him physically first. I'm going to help you see, oh, you know what? Then I'm going to let you get persecuted a little bit. And after you've been persecuted and feel like you've been beat up, I'm going to meet up with you again. Because now you're really going to see me for who I am as a Savior. Not just a healer, but your Savior. He works differently in different lives. And I love, again, when you look at the last part of this verse, notice he says, he believes, and then what? He worships Jesus. The religious leader said, you can't worship with us at the temple. Sorry, you can't worship with us. We're too good for you, right? Jesus said, I'll receive your worship. Come on. In this passage, we're reminded that when the, the man worshiped Jesus, Jesus received the worship. We don't come to a church to worship Man, right? We don't come to churches to worship things. We don't come and worship angels. Anytime you look in the Bible, you see men always wanted to worship other men. They wanted to worship Paul. What did Paul say? No, do not give me the praise. Give God the praise. One of my, my favorite passages, Revelation let me find it real quick. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. John, the one who wrote this book, right? The book of John, he wrote Revelation. He said this, God had taken him and put him into an opportunity to see a vision of heaven. So you can imagine you're, you're, you're in the presence of God, you're seeing heaven. And he says this, 
I heard what sounded like the shout of a huge crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean wave or the crash of loud thunder. This is Revelation 19, verse 6. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the bride has prepared herself. She's permitted to wear the finest white linen. And the angel said, write this. Like John's like, absolutely. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then he added, these are the words that come from God. Then listen to what happens next. John's like, then I fell down at the feet to worship that angel. And he said, no, don't worship me. For I'm a servant of God, just like you and other believers who testify of their faith in Jesus. Worship God. Period. See, a lot of great things happen in our lives. You know, we maybe go through some rough times, and we have a great moment, and we're like, oh, this is great. Praise you, praise you. And it's like, are we praising man? Are we praising angels? God's like, no. Praise me is what God says. The angels are like, don't be worshiping us. Worship God. We're just created beings. Paul, a servant of God, is like, don't worship me. I'm just man. Worship God. So when the religious leaders are like, you can't worship here, that blind man should have been saying, good, it's about time, because I don't want to worship you guys. I want to worship Jesus. And who does he run into? Jesus. There's a progression in this man's faith. It's, it's pretty incredible. See, Jesus is the same as he was yesterday and today and tomorrow. But our view sometimes of Jesus changes. And for this blind man, it started off with him as saying, this guy's just a man. But then he went from being man to being a prophet to being master, and I'm his disciple. And then it goes on to, well, he actually, Jesus is from God. Then, well, no, you know what? He is the Son of God. He's the one I trust, and he's the one I worship. From the beginning of chapter 9, verse uh, 11, where he basically says, this man did something to me to the last verse of this chapter where he's like, I'm worshiping you. Do you see the progression of his faith and how it changed? And it wasn't all about necessarily all these little intricacies of, of, of religious things. It was Jesus. I've been abandoned. I feel alone. I feel rejected. Where do I need to go? Oh, you don't need to go anywhere. You just need to do something. You need to turn your eyes on Jesus. He made you physically see. Now he wants you to spiritually see. This is who Jesus is. Worship him. Worship him alone. He is God. In your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. In Psalm 27, uh, this is just a great psalm, just a reminder, because again, a lot of times we get so caught up in um, worshiping what God's doing in our lives, we forget to worship God who did those things. I'll explain in a second. Psalm chapter 27, starting in in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they'll stumble and fall. Verse 3. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked... I'll remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. I love this. As, as, as the psalmist is writing this, he's like, God's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my savior. 
I, I, yes, I feel my enemies coming in. I feel like I'm easily defeated. I feel like I'm struggling with things. But God sustains me and he holds me. He is my fortress. And all I'm asking is one thing. I just want to be in his presence. That's it. Look what he says. I just want to seek you. I want to delight in your perfections. I want to meditate in your temple. He goes on to say, in verse 5, for he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in the sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I'll hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. He's like, yeah, I'm above those who are attacking me. God's put me up here. And what am I going to do? Am I going to like chest bump? Yeah, look at me. No, he's like, what? Praise God. He put me up here away from what my enemies are trying to do to me. I'll stand solid on that and I'll give him the praise. I will sing to him. I will worship him. I will sacrifice to him. He goes on to say this, verse 7. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you. Come talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Isn't that cool? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, God. Hear me when I'm praying. God's like, I hear you. Let's get together and talk. Oh, I'm ready to talk. How often have we done that at home? We're like, I just need to spend some time with God. You know, it's like we have God's word. It's like, yeah, it's right there on my, my nightstand or somewhere on the table or, or it's in my car so it's ready for me for next Sunday when I come to church, you know, whatever. But it's like, God's like, hey, let's have this conversation. I want to talk with you. Yeah, let's talk, Lord. Let me open up. What do you want to say to me? God, I want to say some stuff to you. I want to pray to you. And you have this conversation with God, right? Verse 9. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You've always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God, my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Oh, could you hear the blind man if he knew this scripture? Even if mom and dad abandoned me, which they did. Oh, yeah, I'm their son that can see now, but then they left. They won't stand for me and my faith. The psalmist goes, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. See, during those dark times, during those moments when we're alone, during those moments when we feel defeated, when we feel rejected, God never abandons us. And for that reason, we should offer shouts of thanksgiving and joy and praise. That's why we come here to sing on Sunday, to worship God, because our God never abandons us. You may feel abandoned at times. That's just a feeling. Truth is, he's right there. Never leaves. Never abandons. There's a point in time when... Something happens to us and Jesus does something in life and we can't explain it. We just know that Jesus was in it. And that blind man, he's like, I, I don't know. All I know is this man did this to me and I did this and here I am. Once I was blind, now I can see. Get out of here. So be it. I made my profession in faith and I've been rejected. And Jesus finds you in that moment and says, I'm not rejected you. Man is going to reject you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be rejected. Get over it, people. Oh, so-and-so don't like me anymore. Of course they don't like you because you've got God in you. That's the way it's going to be. It's like, well, this is horrible. No, it's normal. What's horrible is if they actually accepted you and you joined in with them. That's horrible. The good news is that when you place your faith in Christ, yes, you are going to be different now. 
And Jesus receives you right where you're at. He calls your name. My question is this, do you turn your eyes toward him? Because remember who found who the second time? Jesus found the blind man. So that blind man's walking, how did Jesus get his attention? I don't know, it doesn't tell us, right? But I'm wondering if he called him by name. I wonder if he tapped him on the shoulder. But regardless of how it happened, that blind man that can now see again had to do what? Turn his eyes to Jesus. Remember that song, Turn Your Eyes Toward Jesus? Look full on his glory and grace. I think that's how the words go, right? It's a great song. How many times have we not turned our eyes on Jesus? And we struggle. See, when we resolve to turn our eyes to Jesus and place our faith in him, we resolve to stand and and leave that place that we once were. I'm no longer going to go with the flow of this world. I am now making a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm probably going to go against what the rest of the world says. And you know, it's going to be tough. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9 says this. We have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing a great treasure. This makes it clear that the great power is from God, not ourselves. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Then it's on the screen. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. I love how how the Apostle Paul put this. Listen, God's put his light in us. We're like these fragile jar clays. We get abandoned. We feel abandoned. We get knocked down. We get pressed on every side. We feel like to give up. And here's the thing. Here's the truth. We've not been abandoned by God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nor our fears about today or our worries about tomorrow. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. Church, listen, you will get knocked down. You will feel abandoned, but you are never abandoned by God. Amen? Listen, this isn't a pep talk to like, hey, let's go rah, rah, be a better Christian. Okay? Okay? This is to remind you that you and I are not alone. And that's true. And the reason that's true is because God is love. God is faithful. Stop praising the fact that you're not alone and start praising the fact that he is all present. I love a lot of the things that come out today um, that remind us of our identity in Christ. I really do. I think they're powerful to remind us who we are in Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ, it's important for you to understand who you are in Christ. But let me remind you of something. You know what's bigger than who you are in Christ? Christ. Yeah, I am love. You know why? Because God is love. I'm chosen. You know why? Because he's a chooser. I'm found. You know why? Because he's the finder. He's the one that says, I got you. All those things about who we are in Christ are incredible, good, and true. But do not forget the reason they are true is because he is, period. He is amazing. And he deserves our praise. And when life gets tough, he is there. He's worthy of our worship. So worthy of our worship. And and what I appreciate about Pastor Dave is a lot of the songs we sing, and you maybe never knew this before, and we were just talking about this the other day, and and you probably didn't realize I was going to be hitting on this, but... You know why he picks the songs he picks? Because they have three things in them. They're about God, they're about Jesus, or they're about the Holy Spirit. If it's about you, we probably won't sing it. Because we're not here to worship ourselves or worship who we are. And it, it's to worship God. 
Now, we might get a lyric or two that talks about how we're loved, but you know why we're loved? Because He is love. So a lot of our songs we sing are that way. So you might hear some incredibly great songs on your radio. Uh, you might download and listen to. They are definitely encouraging. I got a lot of them I listen to. But we might not sing it here at a worship service because we're worshiping God. It's great to sing about what God's doing in our life. But when we come here, we worship God. This blind man, he was once blind, but now he sees. He gets it, and he falls at the knees, and he worships God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Church, I get it. I love this story because, you know, I'm reminded there's, there's moments we're going, to, we're going to make a change in our life. And people don't understand change. And they question your change in your life. Why do you dress that way? Why do you act that way? Why won't you go to that movie? How come your language changed? How come you're not telling those kind of jokes you used to tell? How come you won't go out and do these things with us anymore? Well, I was blind. Now I can see you probably won't say those words to them. But maybe you say, I made some decisions in my life. And one is that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I know this does not honor him. I want to live in a way that honors him, that worships him. And people will reject you. You may be left alone. But here's the thing I want to encourage you with. It's going to happen. And instead of the woe is me, how about the wow is God? Instead of like, oh, I'm so, get over it. That's going to happen. It'll probably happen every day for the rest of your life. But where's your focus at? See, if your focus is on you, you're always going to be worried about what happened to you and how people reject you. But turn your eyes on Jesus. When you turn your eyes on Jesus and you look on him, it's like, it's not about how I'm feeling right now. It's about my Savior who is rock solid. He is love. He is truth. He is grace. He is faithful. And when I'm not faithful, He is. And when I'm not very loving, He is. And when I've lost all hope, He is hope. And when I'm all anxious, He is peace. i got to get my eyes on Him. So I want to encourage you. We're going to be heading into the holidays here soon, and it can get very anxious moments. And then some of you are going to be maybe sharing your faith a little bit more in life. And as you do all these sharing, and as you get out there, Let's anchor in on what is true, what is real, and who God is. Turn your eyes on him. He is amazing. Would you stand, please? Remember this, church. The question that Jesus asked the blind man, he asked all of us. If Jesus was here today, uh, first of all, I'm doing this. I'm stepping down. Jesus, take the stage. Take the stage, right? And Jesus is up here, and we're all out here. And he says, church. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Answer that question right now, yes or no. Because if you say maybe, that's a no. And if you say no, you do not believe in the Son of Man, that is your choice. But Jesus makes it very clear. If you do not believe in Him, your eternity is in trouble. If you do believe in Him, yes, I believe He is the Son of Man, and let's worship Him. And worship Him alone because he is worthy of our worship. Amen? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. All-powerful, almighty. God, I am saved, but that's because you are the Savior. I have been healed of things, but that's because you are the healer. I have been redeemed. That's because you're the redeemer. It is you, God, not me. It is what you have done, not what I'm trying to do. It's not about me 
being rejected. It's about me being received by you. So God, help us to turn our eyes on you, to worship you. You are, you deserve it all. So God, we want to give it all to you. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now and worship you. In our name we pray. Amen.